I hope to return to the book of Revelation after, Lord willing, after the Advent season, the Christmas season, but for this time of year, we'll be looking at texts that are related to Advent and our Lord's incarnation, including the one this morning from Romans chapter 13. I may have mentioned this before, but I do not like to go shopping. I particularly don't like having to shop for clothes. Apparently it requires a skill set which I lack. I think I've told the story before, but when, when I took the call to my previous church in Tennessee, before my family moved down there, I went once by myself to spend a few days with the congregation and to preach. And I arrived on a Saturday night in Memphis, and the airline had lost my bags. So, mildly panicked and not knowing the town, I made my way to the first men's clothing establishment I could find, which in this case happened to be named Kohl's. And a kindly old southern lady saw me wandering around lost in the men's clothing section and she comes to aid me she says what do you need I said I need shoes socks pants a belt a shirt a tie and a jacket and it would be nice if they matched and she was very patient and kind she gives me some options I pick the stuff out try the stuff on buy the stuff Crisis averted. I was pretty proud of myself. I get home a few days later. I show the stuff to Cheryl. And she says, You preached in that? I said, Yeah. She says, And they still want you to come? And then, and then the final statement of disapproval. I hope you've kept the receipt. <laughs> so I don't like to shop for clothes. I resist it vigorously. But eventually the appropriate time arrives and I lose this battle. I mean, the, the time does come eventually when one's wardrobe needs to be updated. And our text this morning which is from Romans 13, the New Testament lesson. It's a standard New Testament reading, by the way, for the first Sunday of Advent. It's all about recognizing the time and the clothing appropriate to the time. And so, we'll look at the text under these two headings, the time and the clothing. So first, the time... What Paul's been doing in this section of the book of Romans is is that he's been giving us a rather demanding survey of the ethics, the behavior required of the people of God. And it it begins all the way back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, with a reference, believe it or not, to time. He says, do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by having your mind renewed. 
Now, when he uses the, the, the words this age, Paul does not mean the current generation or the first century or the 21st century for that matter. When he uses the words this age, he's not referring to a particular cultural situation or a particular fashion milieu. This age refers to the whole sweep of time. All time in the fallen cosmos as it is oriented against God. That's what Paul means by this age. This age then, for him, for the New Testament writers, stands in contrast to the age to come, which has broken into this age in Jesus Christ. And you have to talk about these ages, these times, if you're going to talk about Christian ethics. Christian ethics is fundamentally an ethic of nonconformity. It's the primitive, truly radical form of protest and dissent. What's it dissenting against? The whole age. So, in our text, Paul begins, this is Romans 13, beginning at verse 11. It's a text which has to do with one's behavior relative to the age. He starts with, and do this. In other words, I've given you some rationale, some reasons to behave in a Christian fashion, but I'm going to give you a more pervasive one, a more foundational one to undergird your behavior. He says, and do this, verse 11, and do this understanding the time. Note, he assumes that we know the time. Do you know what the very first question about Christian behavior is that never gets asked in discussions of Christian behavior? It's this, do you know what time it is? Now, this may seem odd at first. I, I get this is a concept that that's a diff, can be difficult to assimilate. Do you know what time it is? It's crucial that you do, because otherwise you won't think rightly about Christian behavior. You'll just think, ah, oh, there's this list of rules, timeless rules, abstractions. We have to just obey this system of laws. The text says that our behavior, the way we live is shaped and determined and ordered by the time in which we live. Again, not, not, not 2015, not 70 AD. The time here is the new time. The time of opportunity, the time of decision, the time which has come in the advent, the coming, the appearing of the Son of God. Jesus does, does, does not simply drop down into this time and leave everything intact. He brings the future. He brings the kingdom. He brings the age to come. He brings another time. And Paul says, if you understand this new time, that you live in this new time, then I can talk to you about behavior. So it turns out there's this tension. We often call it the already and the not yet, meaning the kingdom, the future has already arrived in Jesus Christ. It's already here. But it's not fully here. This time, 
our time is the time of the overlap of these ages, the time where this whole fallen age is invaded by the advent, the appearing of the future, the age to come in Jesus Christ. Now, I know this may seem like, uh, like it's not relevant, but Paul considers knowing this essential to practical godliness. Do this understanding the time. It's interesting, is it not? I have found this striking, that you, that you can pick up whole volumes on Christian behavior, Christian ethics, Christian view of X and a Christian view of Y without any reference whatsoever to the time. We do not simply live in linear time, Paul is saying. That thing on the wall, whether it's 1027 or whether it's Tuesday or whether it's Saturday or whether it's June or whether it's December or whether it's September or whether it's October, The the fundamental thing that you have to think about when you think about time are these two ages and which one you belong to. Because that time on that wall, it's bound up with death. That's all it does. It kills you, that clock, as it goes around. Same thing the sun's doing. It goes up, it comes down, it goes up, and it comes down, it grinds everything to dust. The great German theologian Emil Brunner said, this time is crumbling time, disintegrating time. So, even from a purely human point of view, isn't this true? You, you, you realize certain types of behavior, certain types of clothing even, fit certain situations, right? You don't wear your pajamas to a dinner party. You don't behave in front of a sovereign monarch the way you might behave with your children. We're, we, we sort of even on a purely human level know that behavior is tied to the presence of the time we're in. And so this time is even further heightened in the text. The text says that the hour has come. Jesus is very fond, especially in John's gospel, of, of talking about his whole life and his death, especially his death, as his hour. Jesus will say, I can't do that yet. My hour is not here. And because Christ's hour has come, We live not only in the new time, the last days, we live in the last hour. This is problematic for us. When someone says we live in the last times or the last hour, our minds run to predictions and apocalyptic, uh, you know, TV preachers assuming this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But that's not what we mean here. It's sort of symptomatic of the problem. The end is near. Not because of chronological time. It has nothing to do with that clock. Chronological time is bound up with death and the whole present age. The end is always at hand. The end is near. The hour is here because it has, in fact, appeared already in Jesus Christ. He brings a new time. Not just hey, here's a set of nice ways to live. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to help you out. Do the best you can. This is the last hour. The mighty advent action of God in Christ means that now is the time, this is the hour, the text says, then to wake from our sleep. Sleep, sleeping is the characteristic of this age. Right? With men with all of their 
amusements and diversions and their streaming video and their pulsating 24-7 entertainment are nonetheless slumbering. They're sleepwalkers. They're numb. Christ's appearance, culminating in his resurrection, his waking up from the sleep of death, inaugurates a new time, Paul says. And this is what is to ground this time, knowing this time, being determined, shaped by this time, grounds your moral renovation. So this new time, the time we are in, Advent time, is like an alarm clock. It shatters our illusory sleepwalking through life. This is why Paul can cite the prophet Isaiah and say, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The text continues. You look at the middle of verse 12. There's a further time-oriented reason for waking up. It says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation here is future. We are saved, we're being saved, and we're moving toward that final consummate salvation. The time and the hour are not static. Everything is moving toward the consummation. But remember, it's moving toward a future, toward a consummation which has already appeared in Jesus. And so the state of the situation, the state of this movement is summarized in the first half of verse 12. The night is nearly over or the night is far gone. So by the night here, the apostle means this old fading age, this present darkness. In this age out here, it's always metaphorically 535 in the morning. The night is far gone. That is the permanent metaphorical time of the age. And it's far gone, it's well advanced, it's passing away, it's dying because it has been decisively shattered by the advent light which has appeared in Jesus Christ. This is how Christians are to think about time first and foremost. Then, yes, you do have to pay attention to whether it's Tuesday or Thursday and the like. But those questions are all structured by this bigger question. So the day, the text says the night's far gone. And the day, the coming day of salvation, the apostle says, the day is at hand, the text says, or almost here. Again, this is not according to any chronology of this age. right? Because in Jesus Christ, the day is already, the coming day, the future day, is already throwing its light back into this darkness. John says the darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. This means that you live, you live at the break of dawn. From the perspective of this old age, it's always 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. From the perspective of the age to come, you live at the break of dawn. You live in the dawn's early light. The sun is rising. His light has already pierced the present darkness. That is the time. Set your watches accordingly. So, the second thing here is the clothing. So, in light of the time, the apostle says in the middle of verse 12, so then let us put aside the deeds of darkness. I mean, if you're going to awake from sleep, you're going to have to take some clothes off and get dressed. Thus, 
we must cast off or fling away our night clothes, which he here calls our deeds of darkness. These are works which belong to the old age, to the well-advanced night. Notice, you have to take stuff off before you put stuff on. You can't, you can't just go to Kohl's and put the stuff you'd like to try on. You have to take the old stuff off. And, and so Christian behavior, because the fading darkness is still here, it still hovers, it still clings, we're still weak, sinful people, that means Christian behavior always starts with a no before it proceeds to a yes. Take this stuff off, put this stuff on. Repentance before new life. Crucifixion before resurrection. Suffering before glory. Casting off before putting on. There's no escaping this for pilgrims. The no's in the Bible are not because um, God is peevish. It's because the no's are necessary to put something on. You cannot put the new clothes on till you take the old clothes off. And thus this sharp renunciation in the text, cast off the deeds of darkness, precedes this glorious investiture. Put on, the text says, put on the armor of light. And so this is a call, as, a, as is all Christian ethics. It's a call to live as people who belong to the age to come. The day which is already at hand. And the reference to, notice in the text, there's a reference to putting on the, it's, it's a curious metaphor, isn't it? Put on the armor of light. It shows that Paul's aware that we live in this sort of overlapping situation where there's this old age and this new age, and it's a dangerous time. It's a time of warfare for pilgrims. We have to move from sleep to battle. Right, casting off the old and putting on the on, on the new is warfare. It's difficult. No one should be mis, you know misled about this. Christianity calls us to do what is humanly impossible to do. It calls us to move from sleep to battle. And so, basically, then we ask ourselves, what is the Christian life? About And this is a text which focuses us. It says, it is about living out of the power of the future. Living as subjects of a future that has come, but it is not fully here. And that means living by the spirit of the risen Christ. It's so important to get this. Because often it, it sounds like this, right? The world does X or Y, and Christians say no to X and Y. And then the list goes on and on. But as if, you know, God is the great contrarian. But the deeper reason for Christian behavior is, is in this text. And it's simply this. Christians are called to act the way we are called to act because we belong to a different age. We belong to a whole different order of things, an age of peace and renewal in Christ. This is as radical as it gets 
It means you don't belong to the first century, you don't belong to the 20th century, you don't belong to the 21st century, you don't belong to the 60s, you don't belong to the 80s, you don't belong to any ethnicity, you belong to the new order, the new age, the age of light, the day which is at hand, which has broken into this crumbling, death-bound time in Jesus Christ. And if you belong to that order, then live like it. Live out of it. Live in the light. Cast off the deeds of darkness. This is why we live the way we live. God is against this stuff because this stuff destroys human beings. And God is against evil for the sake of human flourishing. And so verse 13 says, let us behave decently as in the daytime. Again, the clothes are determined by the time. The word decently in the text, properly in in some translations, means fitting or appropriate to the daytime. No healthy person gets up, spends the whole day in their pajamas. Paul's saying, dress appropriately, dress decently, dress in a way that's fitting because you're people of the coming light and the light's already shining. So live that way. In a sense, you're like a sacrament, a harbinger of the future. And then he lists uh, three pairs of things, vices, which we should shun. Right? There are no's, but they're set in this context of knowing the time. These things here, which he lists, even pagans shrink from doing in broad daylight. Orgies and drunkenness. Paul, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. There's a sort of profound irony, metaphorical, uh, a correctness to the fact that a lot of this stuff uh, occurs under cover of night. Orgies and drunkenness, like the next two pairs, immorality, debauchery, quarreling, and dissension, they belong to the age of darkness, and therefore they take place usually under the cover of night. All of these things, the apostle says, they lead to dissipation, or disorder, and thus they're not proper, he says. They're not fitting. They're not decent. Notice here, the apostle does not appeal to a code. He doesn't say, God says, don't do this, so don't do it. Now, the Bible does have, that's fine to say. Any parent knows that's what you tell your three-year-old, right? But that's not going to work well with a 23-year-old. And what Paul is doing here is he's treating you like a full-grown adult. He's saying, I'm going to give you the rationale for why we have these commands. Because we're to behave decently or properly. You belong to the reintegration, the reordering of all things in wholeness and in peace and in flourishing in the new light of Christ. Therefore, don't be sexually immoral. It destroys human flourishing. Don't get drunk. It it, it dissipates rather than integrates your personality. Don't be involved in dissensions and quarrels, for they destroy human community of reconciliation and peace. This behavior has to be renounced, he says, because it entails living out of the spirit and the power of the wrong age. That's what's wrong with the corrupt behavior of the world. Sin is a disordered form of love. It esteems this crumbling age over the new age which has come in Christ's advent. 
This is a great problem with us, is it not? We cherish things, even noble things, as if they were ultimate things. But this is a great, this is why in the text things like wine and sex are a problem. Not because they're ignoble, but because they're noble and we love them in the wrong way, in a disordered way. We are always taking penultimate things, things that are next to ultimate, and making them ultimate. So we love the wrong things. We do two things. We love the wrong things, or we love the right things in the wrong way. Our desires are disordered. They belong to this falling, crumbling age. We're all inevitably desiring creatures. And one's desires are either ordered to this crumbling time or to the new time announced in the text. And that, in a sense, is the the battle, the struggle we all feel as Christians. Our desires are pulled toward this age and then pulled toward the age to come and back and forth. So finally, verse 14, you get another clothing metaphor. And here we come to the heart, the heart of what it means to cast off and put on. Put on or clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. It couldn't be any simpler than that. It's impossibly demanding, but it couldn't be simpler. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with him. Here we see that ethics or or virtue, precisely because they're conditioned by the time, the advent, can never be detached from the living person of Jesus. To do that is tedious moralism. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And all these rules are detached from the living Christ. We never seek virtue in itself. We seek to be clothed in Jesus Christ, who is the virtuous one. Or or to, to think of this differently, casting off and putting on is not sorting through a list of detached pieces of clothing, figuring out which vices to discard and which virtues we need to to adorn. I remember when my children were little. Some of you who are parents might know this. You know that big fat, I think it's multiple volumes now, Book of Virtues? I think Bill Bennett put it together. It's a bunch of stories for character, you know, to inculcate certain character traits in your children. So there might be a bunch of stories on courage and a bunch of stories on patience and a bunch of stories on whatever the next virtue is, and it's a lot. And so we used to read this to our children, but I eventually stopped. It didn't take long. I eventually stopped reading. In fact, I got sick of the book. And here's the reason why. I I like Bill Bennett. I do. I I got sick of the book because there's no gospel in the book. You're constantly telling your kids something like this. Look, Johnny, Billy in this story was really brave and courageous in the face of difficult odds. You too, Johnny, should be brave and courageous because Jesus likes brave and courageous boys. That's unbelievably tedious. And it's not the gospel. And tons of Sunday school literature and Christian literature for children is full of this stuff. Look, Jill, Janie was very patient when she got this, you know, on and on, as if somehow law and character examples are what we need. Paul says, look, here's what you need to live right. You need to live out of the power of another age. You see how different those two things are? Look, there's a time, sure, there's a time. Of course, there's a time for heroic example. We have Hebrews chapter 11. 
There's a time to imitate people who are patient. Yes, but if you don't set it in this fundamental framework, if all you're ever telling children is, look, you need this virtue and here's a way to get this virtue, then you're not giving your own children the gospel. Your children need the power of the age to come. They don't need heroic human examples first and foremost. So I don't even know where the book is. Um, So... If the virtues, then, are to be likened to pieces of clothing, we should think of it this way. There is for the children of light, children of the day, there's a new closet. There's a completely different closet. It's been stocked by another, namely by Jesus Christ. That's a blessed thing. You don't even have to shop, right? All the clothes in the closet, pre-approved by your wife. And so what Paul is saying here is this. Take stuff out of the new closet. So think think of it this way. Think of the closet this way. There's a piece of clothing called humility in the closet. And there's another piece of clothing called kindness. But the bar on which they all hang and which holds them all together is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can reduce the whole thing to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself in him. And so ethics then. Behavior is the life of the risen Christ manifested in your flesh. This is why we're so bad at it. And and why it so easily degenerates into hypocrisy and self-righteousness and moralism. But this is one of those texts that wakes us up and says, this is what we are called to be and do. And you can only be exhorted to put on Christ because you've already been baptized into Christ. You have already clothed yourself in Jesus Christ. You have already been embraced in the light and in the redemptive love of God in Jesus Christ. You and I have already done that. And so this is a call to continue to put him on who we were clothed with in baptism. And in so doing, Paul says at the end of verse 14, to make no provision for the flesh or do not think about gratifying the sinful nature. Now, of course, because we live in this overlap time, this complicated time, we're always living with splattered clothes, right? We're, we're, we've, got, we've got a sock from the new age on and a glove from the old age on. We've got the light of the new age, but we've got a lot of darkness. We're, we're mangled, right? Um, and, and we continue to sin. But notice, the text does call us to a complete wardrobe change, It says, get rid of these old clothes, put these new clothes on. Yes, I get the fact. Life is complicated. We're not resurrected yet. But you cannot settle for walking around all day with your pajamas and a tie on. Right? No matter who's going to sanction that. I think I may have mentioned this, too, the last time I told this Tennessee clothing story. But a few Christmases ago, my wife and daughters decided that I needed some new clothes. And they went, since I won't go, they went and they brought a pile of them home for me to try on. And they told me to start trying them on. And I resisted. And so I said, you know, what, what's, wrong with my, what's wrong with the clothes I have? And one of my daughters, who's not here today, um, said, they're frumpy. You look frumpy. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged man. You know, how am I supposed to look? And, and she said, well, 
you need to look more sassy. She, did, she didn't mean in a bad way. She just meant, you know, you needed a little more, you needed a little more, you know, verve. I needed to make the transition from frumpy to sassy somehow. So I try something on. I try something on. And I come out. This is the other humiliation about clothing is you have to model this stuff. Right? So I come out and my daughter says, she has it. I said, so what do you think? And she says, frassy. Somewhere between frumpy and sassy. See, there's no frassy envisioned in the wardrobe prescription in this text, right? It's a complete change. Light, not darkness. Propriety, not depravity. The Lord Jesus Christ, no provision for the flesh. No frassiness. Put the new clothes on. I'm going to briefly close with a story which illustrates the sheer power of this text. It was a summer of 8386. And a young, worldly, brilliant, and very promiscuous man, a North African professor of rhetoric at Milan, Italy, sits in the garden of a friend, weeping. He was almost persuaded, after a long journey, to become a Christian. But he could not muster the will to break with his old life. And as he sits in that garden, he hears a child's voice from the neighboring house singing, Tola lege, tola lege, which means take up and read, take up and read. He picks up the scroll which was lying by him, and his eyes fell on these words. He opens it at random. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in dissensions and quarrels, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Our very text here this morning. No further would I read, he tells us, nor had I any need. Instantly, at the end of the sentence, a clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. The young man is known to us, of course, as St. Augustine. The great British scholar F.F. Bruce puts it this way. He says, what the church and the world owe to this influx of light, which illumined Augustine's mind as as he read these words of Paul, is something beyond our power to compute. The West, the whole West, is incomprehensible without Augustine. It has been said that the foot, the Middle Ages are a footnote to Augustine. The whole tradition that we are in here at Westminster is profoundly shaped by Augustine. And being a good Augustinian is not in the first place about election or predestination. It's first and foremost about being a good Christian. And you cannot be a good Christian, brothers and sisters, without knowing the time and without dressing accordingly. So this Advent, this Advent, as we remember and mark the new time which has invaded this darkness and inaugurated the age of light, may God grant us all grace to cast off the deeds of darkness, to continually put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.